for those of you that are visiting, you're your first time here. If you're watching online for your first time, thanks again for being here. We aren't normally like that. We're sometimes crazier, and so I don't know what we are, but we are what we are. We, uh, <laughs> we are a family church that's teaching people to reach their world, and you're the people we're trying to teach to reach your world. Amen. Praise the Lord. And so we've been doing a series that we're calling Food for Thought. How many of you like to eat? I have been, amen. And so this is our fourth week. We'll finish it up. There's so much more, so many more things that we could talk about. Uh, but basically, my whole premise, my whole thought process has been uh, <clears throat> how Jesus, the Bible, the Word of God gives us natural illustrations to help us understand spiritual truths. And you know, God's ways are higher than our ways. His understandings are deeper than what we can understand. And so he gives us natural illustrations that will help us to comprehend and understand the things that he wants us to know. And so I have been practicing what I call communistration. And communistration is communicating with illustrations. And I did not bring my steak today, but I did bring the baby food because I wanted to remind you that the Apostle Paul talked about uh, the difference of spiritual growth and the different types of food that you need to be able to sustain yourself. And we understand that children, when they're born or when they get to a certain point where they're after, after they have been eating or drinking milk, we, we give them baby food. This is carrots. <laughs> They just do not look good in this form. But we under, actually, I'm not sure they look good ever. But anyway, no, they're good. <clears throat> so I've heard. Anyway, uh, so uh, uh, we understand that babies, this is designed for children. This is designed for babies. Babies that have not fully developed in their ability to digest adult food. And so Paul said that, that I wanted to give you, I wanted, to eat, I wanted you to eat some adult food, some grown-up food, but you're still babies. You're still children. And so I had to alter your diet so that ultimately you could grow. And, and so we talked a little bit about that in the first week. And then the second week, we talked about apples. We gave all of you an apple. Apple, how many of you enjoyed your apple? All right, good. Apple a day keeps, I don't know, anyway, apple a day is good for you. But anyway, uh, <clears throat> anybody remember what we said about the apple? An apple is what? <sighs> Whoa, what? Thank you. An apple is no respecter of persons. We have a tendency to think that the Bible and things that God says and his spirit, that that's for more perfect people than we are, more mature people than we are, that that's beyond our ability to understand or because of our past, because of, uh, of what we don't know, what we aren't, all of those things, we think that maybe that God's will, his purpose, his plan, his word, all of those things may not relate to us. They might not be important to us. They might not be something for us until we quit doing this and we start doing that. But an apple is no respecter of persons. An apple will do in you exactly what an apple is designed to do. An apple will, when you chew it up and when you digest and get it into your system, into your stomach and your stomach begins to break it down and your digestive system begins to work and it begins to spread those nutrients out to the rest of your body. And it doesn't matter if you're in America, in, in, in Africa, in South America, in China, it does not matter where you are. An apple will work in whoever eats the apple unless... There is something in your physical system that prevents you. There's celiac disease that prevent, prevents people from actually absorbing some nutrients. Spiritually, those same things can happen as well. You can have things in your life like unforgiveness, or you can allow traditions to become so big in your life that you can't receive what it is that the Word of God or the Spirit of God is, is saying to you. So that's why we have to make sure that our hearts are clean. But otherwise, 
And Apple will do exactly what it is designed to do. And really what I've been trying to do is teach you to eat the fruit of redemption. To eat the, a steady diet of redemption. Last week we talked about what does communion really mean? What are the simple, we understand the cup and we understand the bread. But really when we're talking about, we understand it as the communion elements, but we spent some time talking about the cup and about the bread and what Jesus was trying to get over to his disciples at the last supper at the feast of Passover. Because he was, he was saying things that they didn't understand. They had been celebrating the feast of, the, the feast of Passover. Wow. The feast of Passover. They had been celebrating that. Anyway, my tongue got, was speaking in tongues apparently. But anyway, the feast of Passover was something that they had celebrated many, 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 many times. They thought they understood. They thought they knew. And then Jesus presented something brand new to them. And really, he was talking about what he was going to do. And we read these words in John chapter 6 and verse 35. I'll get to it. <laughs> John six thirty-five. Jesus said to them, I'm the bread of life. Jesus is food for our hunger. And I think that sometimes we mistake a spiritual hunger and we're trying to take natural things to feed that hunger. We're, we're looking for relationships. We're looking for security to, to maybe <clears throat> deal with the, the lack of peace that we have in our heart and in our life. And yet Jesus said, I'm going to be bread for those hungry places, those empty places in your life. And he who comes to me will never hunger. He who believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus is the bread and the drink that satisfies the longing of our soul. And in John chapter 6 and verse 33, Jesus said this, It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. It is the word of God that is the sustenance or the thing that gives us the ability to sustain a spiritual life, to grow in a spiritual life, to become stronger in our spiritual life. And I think that we all understand the idea that if we do not eat natural food, if all you have is a snack once a week, eventually your life is going to become weaker and weaker and weaker. You will be more subject to disease and sickness. You will eventually wither away and die. Well, if that's true and Jesus is giving us the analogy and the analogy of food is all through the word of God, then I think something similar happens spiritually. That if all we get is a spiritual snack once a week, then what's going to happen? We are going to become weaker and weaker and weaker spiritually. We will be more subject to the attacks of the enemy, the assault on our mind and all of the different things that he brings against us. And eventually, while we may not die spiritually, we will become weak and ineffective spiritually without a good spiritual diet. And so that has been my premise throughout this, this series is simply this. There's nothing wrong, and I hate that word wrong. I don't mean it quite like, like it comes across, but there's nothing that is wrong with us that the right spiritual diet cannot fix. Do, do we believe that this morning? Do we believe that whatever it is that might be short in our life, whatever it is that, that causes at times anxiety to rise or the anger to flash or the sorrow, or the sadness, the, the pain, whatever it is, it, <clears throat> there's something in the word of God that will be life for you. There is something in the bread that Jesus is. There's something in the cup that Jesus provides for us that will bring a surety and a peace into our life. And so Jeremiah 15, 16 is, is, has been our theme scripture. Your words were found and I ate them. And your word was to me the joy and the rejoicing of my heart for I'm called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. Say this with me. I'm called. Because of him. Say it again. I am called because of him. 
I, I, I say that and I, because this is something that just sort of came up the last, in my heart the last couple of weeks. I think we understand the first part, the digestion part. Your words were found. I got them on the inside of me. I ate them. And something by the Holy Spirit on the inside of me, it began to produce something in me. We understand it as faith because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But there's byproducts of the word of God getting into our heart and into our life. And here Jeremiah says, when, you're, when I found your words and I got them on the inside of me and I began to eat them, I began to digest them, it produced something in me called joy and rejoicing. It gave me abilities to do something that, that I, hadn't, I wouldn't probably have experienced or done until I got that word on the inside of me. But once the word got on the inside of me, it produced something. And that, again, is my premise, my thought, my idea that when we get the word of God on the inside of us, it produces something in us. And so I want to take another step because that last thought, I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. First Peter Chapter 2 and verse 2 says, As newborn babes desire the sincere or the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Desire the milk of the word so that you can grow. We know that milk is baby food. It starts there. But the idea of growth, you need to eat to grow. Eat so you may grow. Eat so you may grow. Grow beyond. <laughs> and and <clears throat> growth brings change. Right? Growth brings change. We, we understand it. We have a two-year-old granddaughter, just over two years old, and it is amazing to watch the changes in her life. Those of you that are parents, those of you that have, have grandchildren, whatever, and I don't know why it's more prevalent with the grandchildren than it was the children. But anyway, uh, uh, I have noticed over the last probably three or four months in the vocabulary of our granddaughter, Elsie, Pastor Steph and Andrew's child. <laughs> I don't know why everything came together right there and caused a traffic jam between my brain and my tongue. But anyway, it's been happening a lot over the last couple of days. But anyway, um, I've, been, I've been amazed at her vocabulary, things that all of a sudden she's just talking. It's like, what? I understood every word she said. You know, it wasn't just crying because she's hungry or because her diaper's wet. She's now actually saying words like mine. <laughs> Or no, <laughs> or okay. <laughs> we have this thing called WrestleMania. WrestleMania? No, no, Papa. <laughs> and then she'll get on the floor. Okay. <laughs> anyway, um, <clears throat> her vocabulary is changing. Growth is bringing a change to her vocabulary. We understand that when there are babies, and, and, and we understand that growth causes their abilities to, to walk or to run, their, their uh, dexterity, all of the different things. There's a transition and change because of growth in their life. Their diet alters their, it transforms their growth, causes them to grow, and growth causes them to be transformed and to change. Their vocabulary is different. Their strength is different. Actually, children, babies have the same, in a sense, the same muscles that you and I have, but those muscles aren't developed yet. They have the same abilities in one sense that you and I have, but we understand that they've got to get through and go through a system of growth until they can begin, until they can begin, begin to do the things that, that adults can do. We understand that maturity is a growth of mind, that just because chronologically you're uh, an adult does not necessarily mean that you have attained to a level of maturity yet. Can anybody say amen? In... The Apostle Paul in the church at Corinth, he said this in verse, chapter 13, verse 11. It's like this. 
When I was a child, I spoke and I thought and I reasoned as a child does. But when I became a man, my thoughts grew far beyond those of my childhood, and now I have put away the childish things. I think that sometimes we substitute goals in our life. You know, and there's nothing wrong with goals, being a goal setter, all of those things. I, I like what my spiritual father would say. He would say that, you know, it's, it, I'd rather have a big goal and get half than to have a small goal and only get a little bit of it. Goals are important in our life, but how many of you recognize that your goals when you were 13 or 14 or 15 were different than they are when you're 40? Why is that? Why would our goals be different at 15 than they are at 40? Because we've changed. Because the things that were important at 15, like getting my driver's license and whatever else it might be, hopefully having a girlfriend and, and, and this outbreak of pimples will go away, to now, I got the car. And I, my girlfriend became a wife, and my wife produced children, and, and now these little humans are running around my house, and I'm suddenly responsible for them. Now my goals are different, but, but growth is different. Growth is a substitute. Growth is, goals sometimes are a substitute for growth, because when I grow, it's not what's happening around me, but it's what's happening on the inside of me. Growth produces change, and sometimes that change is painful, in fact, that's many times why we don't change. It's many times why a lot, check up on your prayer life. What is your prayer life about? Often our prayer life is God change this, God do that, God take care of that person, God my boss, God my spouse, God my, my finances, God whatever it is, I want you to change those things. But very rarely is our prayer life, God, I want you to change me. I want you to change me. I want to grow and become who you want me to be. But when something grows, it is transformed, which brings me to Romans chapter 12. And we're going to camp here for just a couple of minutes this morning for about 16 minutes and 10 seconds. Romans chapter, yeah, somebody laughed. Yeah, right, whatever. All right. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren. Everybody say, therefore. therefore. So important. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercy of God, that you... Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service or your spiritual worship, some translations say. This is something that we do, that we are responsible for. Verse 2, do not be conformed to this world. Do not let the world press you into its mold. Do not let the world squeeze you into its shape. But be transformed. How? How? I think that many, many times we want things to change. We want transformation. We want those things, but we sort of miss what, <laughs> the why behind the what, the how behind the what. I want transformation, but how? And he, and, and he gives us a key. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Changing the way we think. Changing the way that our brain operates and functions and this little synapse things fire and bring thoughts and cast down thoughts, as Paul said, and bringing order into our thought life. And that becomes so important in our life. But notice what he goes on to say, do not be conformed to this world, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And again, this is our responsibility. It's not Pastor Brian's job, not God's job necessarily. It is our job to subject our mind and our thoughts to the word of God, bring them captive and bring them under control to the thoughts that God has, to the things that God says. And then he goes on and he says, so that you, who? Me. Me so that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and that perfect will 
of God. We want God to change things around us. God wants to change us. God wants to transform us. All so that we can prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God through our lives. And so when he says, therefore, and I, I think that's so important because when he says, therefore, often in our contextual style of preaching uh, uh, or, or really our topical style of preaching, we will take a topic, we will take a thought, and we will work on that thought. But Paul didn't necessarily write that way. The Bible certainly is not written that way. It's written in chapter, we read it as chapter and verse, and we think that chapter 12 just starts a brand new thought, but it doesn't. The thought that he gives to us in, in, Hebrews, er, in, in uh, Romans chapter 12 is a continuation of, of things that he had just said in Romans chapter 11, but also at the very beginning. I just want to go through a couple of things. This is, this is the response of faith to everything that God has done. And, and the Apostle Paul is now getting to a key point, a main point, based on everything that he had said and written to the church at Rome. In chapters 1, 2, and 3, he was talking about the problem of humanity, the problem of mankind. And, and we read in chapter 3 that all have sinned and they fall short of the glory of God. And, and then he gives us in, in chapters four and five about the solution to humanity's problem, that it is through grace and faith that we become a partaker of the divine nature of God, that the new birth becomes a part of our life. In chapter six, he talks to us about identification with Christ. We talked a little bit about that last week, that the death of the lamb in the house of Israel when they were captive in Egypt, we call it the feast of Passover. Many of you are familiar with this idea that, that God, through Moses, God said, I, I will pass over when I see the blood of the lamb on the doorposts of the house. I will pass over that house and the angel of death will not visit your house. And we have a tendency to think that means that death won't come to, that, that death didn't come to their house. But we have to understand that death came to every house that was in Egypt as well as the houses of those that were in Israel or the Jewish people. The death of the lamb, whose, that death provided the blood to put on the doorpost of the house. And the death of the lamb was a substitutionary death so that the firstborn of that house didn't have to die. But that house tasted death, and we have all tasted death. We think that we escaped death. No, we don't. Because as Paul said here to the church at Rome, I have been crucified with Christ. The old man, the, 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 that nature that was corrupt and that was, <laughs> did everything, wanted to do everything wrong, man. It was crucified with Christ. We are identified with him in his death, his burial, and his resurrection where we are now seated with him in heavenly places. But then in chapter seven, he deals with the battle between spirit and soul. And, and I love that. When I first kind of started to tear it apart and look at it years and years ago, I was like, dear Jesus, Paul was like I am. Because he said, oh, wretched man that I am, how can I deal with this? I want to do what's right, but I end up doing what's wrong. Anybody, can, I, can anybody identify with that? And I thought if the apostle Paul had that trouble and I have that trouble, whoo, I'm all caught up to Paul. Praise God. There's always a battle between our spirit and our flesh. Chapter eight says the good news is we're more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. Chapters nine through 11, we're reminded that God has a master plan and that you and I are a part of that master plan that he has. And so let me read to you the verse right before Paul said, I beseech you, therefore, as somebody said, when you see a therefore, find out what it's there for. Chapter 11, verse 29. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable or without repentance. The gifts and the callings of God. Therefore, 
I beseech you, I beg you, I implore you. I'm pleading with you. By the mercy of God, everything that he talked about in those, chapter, those 11 chapters before this are all dependent upon the mercy of God, of what God has done for humanity and for you and I on our behalf through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul says, in light of all the things that God has done and in light of all of the plan and the purpose and now the gifts that he's put on the inside of you, I beg you, I beseech you that you be transformed by the word of God. Don't allow the world to squeeze you into it's mold because it's moldy <laughs> verse 3 after he says those couple of things he says in verse 3 I see, say through the grace <clears throat> that is given to me to everyone who is among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think but to think soberly <sighs> don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think and we always think yeah well those arrogant people that's exactly who Paul was talking about those people who are all full of themselves and everything else I think it's different than that. We understand a proudful person, but I think it's different. I think that you and I have the tendency to not think of ourselves highly enough. We have a greater faith in our ability to fail. We have a, a greater faith in our past than we do in the grace of God that is in us right now. We have a greater faith in our ability to maybe embarrass God and embarrass ourselves than we do to become the children of God that God says that we are. When he says, I want you to think soberly, that, that idea, actually the word to think soberly means to think accurately, and thinking accurately requires the right diet. You've got to change the way you think. You have to change what you are feeding on in your mind. We mentioned it, I think, two weeks ago. Scripture that Paul said that, that Paul said, the things that you have seen in me do and teach. And there's a principle. What you hear is what you see. What you see is what you do. Your vision will pave the way for your walk in life. And the more that my thoughts align themselves with the thoughts of God, the more my mind is changed to think in accordance with what God has said, the more that the vision that I have of myself, the vision that I have of my future, the vision that I have of everything around me changes, and I can begin to have faith, because faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. I can begin to have faith to walk in accordance with that. Does that make sense to you this morning? So again, verse 3, put my apologies to the sound booth, tech booth for getting this out of order just a little bit. Don't think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. God's given you the seed. He's given you the starting point. Actually, the word measure is the Greek word metron, which means the portion taken off of. He's given to you. It'd be like having a, I don't know why butter, but anyway, it's like having a stick of butter. And it's one stick of butter, but you cut off a hunk of the butter, like Gordy over here with his turkeys. I don't know how many pounds of butter. He, he doesn't use it. At, don't use that much butter anymore, do you? Yeah. You do. <laughs> didn't the doctor tell you to not do that? Didn't, didn't ask him. You didn't ask him. <laughs> Gordy uses like several pounds of butter to inject his turkey at Thanksgiving time. And, and anyway. <laughs> Gordy, stop doing that. I just don't think it's healthy for you. I guess it is only once a year, though, right? 
So anyway, sorry, meanwhile, back at the message, squirrel, shiny object. All right, so stick of butter, it's all one stick of butter, and, and the metron, that Greek portion, that Greek idea, that small part, it's, it's, it's the same identical thing as the big stick of butter. And so what God is telling us is the faith that is in us is a portion measured off of himself. It is the same quality, it is the same strength, it is the same kind. And Paul talked about our faith grows exceedingly. Jesus talked about those that have little faith, those that have great faith, all of the in-between. So our faith can grow, but it's dependent upon our diet. Verse 4, for as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. Now, this is all in accordance and in contextual agreement with what Paul said in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 12. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercy of God, that you present your bodies to God as a living sacrifice. God wants to use your bodies to accomplish his plan, will, and purpose. Sorry about that, little one. Did not mean to get that loud. Actually, I kind of did. Verse 5, so we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, having then gifts differing according, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If it's prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. And he goes on with different aspects of, of what we understand as being reasonable service to God. My whole point in, 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 in so many of these ramblings that I'm going down this morning is simply this. There's a reason that you're on this earth. There's a reason you're here. It's not by accident. It's not by mistake. Some of you, like me, might be an oops baby. I don't believe that there's any oops babies in the heart and in the mind of God. We have a purpose. There's a gifting on the inside of us. And maybe that gifting is, is what we would maybe think is kind of small. It's not this great, big, grand audio, uh, audio, whatever it is, adios, that's goodbye. I don't know what that is. Grand, grandiose. I don't know what that is either, but it's bigger than grand apparently. And so anyway, that must be Spanish too. I don't know why I look at Gordy. He has no clue. He's still stuck on butter. But anyway, <laughs> anyway, aren't you glad we're a family church? Amen. Praise God. We're glad you're a part of the family. Uh, it might just be being the best dad you can possibly be by the grace of God. It might be being a friend to somebody that needs one, being aware of something that somebody's going through rather than being aware of what you're going through, putting another person ahead of yourself. There's a reason that you exist. There's a purpose that's in your heart. There are people that you're going to meet. There are people that you're going to cross paths with that the wisdom from God that's on the inside of you might not be just for you, but it's for them also. And it is the reason that renewing our mind to the word of God, as I said before, we have greater faith in our past than we do in the future that God has for us. We have greater faith in our past than, than the grace of God at work in our life even right now. And we limit ourselves. So I want to finish with this thought, and the word finish really doesn't mean a lot maybe, but it should. One of my favorite sayings, you will always act like who you believe yourself to be. I heard that 40 years ago and it just stuck. 
you will always act like the person you will believe yourself to be. It is impossible for you to act with any consistency for any length of time. It will be impossible for you to act apart from how you see yourself, how you believe yourself to be, which is why it is so important to align your thoughts and your feelings and your actions with what God says and who God says that you are, that you are more than a conqueror, that the greater one abides on the inside of you, that he is for you and he is not against you, that he will exalt your valleys, make your mountains low, he will take the crooked places and he will straighten them out before you because he's got a good plan and purpose for your life. Doesn't mean that everything in your life is good. It doesn't mean that, that everything in your life is exactly the way you wished that it would be. Sometimes Sometimes things come into your life for you to eventually defeat them and conquer them so that your children or your grandchildren do not have to face them. Sometimes things happen in your life because God wants to show you how strong he is through you. Sometimes sometimes things go on in your life just because this is a fallen world that we live in and his world is broken and stuff happens. But in all of those things, God is for you. In all of those things, God says, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. I will be right here with you. We have a high priest, it says in the book of Hebrews, who is touched with the feeling of our infirmities, our weaknesses, our ability to produce the results that we want to produce. And he says that we can come boldly before the throne of grace and find our help in our time of need. That is the God that is available to us. That is the God that is for us. That is the God that we are to emulate. So you will always act like who you believe yourself to be. Your beliefs govern what you think, what you say, and what you do. What you believe right now governs. It is the limiter of what you think, say, and do, which is why it is so important that we change our thinking, that we change our thoughts to those ways that are higher than our ways, to the thoughts of God, who says, I can do exceeding abundantly above all that you can even ask or think. Mm. So Paul spent 11 chapters talking about the plan of God, the power of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God, and he gets to that point that he says, I want to enlist you for service. Let me read this scripture to you and we'll finish with this. Mark chapter 12, religious leaders came to Jesus trying to trick him, trying to trap him, trying to fool him. And so they thought they would trick him, turn the people against him with a coin. Verse 16 says, they, Jesus then, you know, they, actually the question was, do we pay taxes to Caesar or do we not? Because there was a big conflict about that stuff. And they figured that if Jesus said, pay your taxes to, to Caesar, then people were going to get mad at him for that. And if people said, if Jesus said, well, you know, don't pay your taxes to Caesar, Caesar, then people would get mad at him for not paying taxes and all those other things. And, and so then Jesus said, would you bring me a coin? So they brought it. And he said to them, whose image and inscription is this? And they said to him, it is Caesar's. And Jesus answered and said to them, then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. And I was back there this morning just kind of praying and thought about something. And I don't know, can you kind of pray? I don't know. And so I just want to give you an illust- a little more communication this morning. It'll take me just a second. I don't want to make a great big mess, but uh, now I should have said this earlier. How many of you like apples? And I'll be really honest with you. I'm a little bit thirsty right now. And this apple looks really, really, really good to me. I just like to take a big bite of it. 
but I'm not going to. This apple, there's nothing wrong with it. We would all like to eat it. It would be good. We could make applesauce out of it or whatever. But when Jesus said, bring me a coin, and he asked, whose image is on the coin? And he said, it's Caesar's. He said, well, then give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. Give to God what belongs to God. He wasn't just talking about taxes. He wasn't just talking about money. He was talking about the image. The ownership of that coin was based on the image that was on the coin. It was Caesar's image on the coin, so it belonged to Caesar. And I hope that you all understand that humanity, you and I, were created in the what? The, the image of God. We've been created in his image and his likeness. Whew, this is good news, because you don't belong to this world. You do not belong to the enemy. You do not belong to your past. You belong to God. And so render to God what is God's. That's what I believe Paul was talking about. He said, this is your reasonable service. You belong to God. You are his property. He has purchased you. He's put something on the inside of you, and he's asking you now to renew your mind, to change the way you think so that you can accomplish that purpose. But we have an adversary, the devil, that comes about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, and he wants to confuse us. Oh, I missed it a little bit. Anybody want to eat this apple now? And see... This is what he's done to a lot of people's life. I don't know if you can see that or not. Anybody want some apples? It's almost pre-digested. <laughs> for some people, for some people, this is what you think your life is. For some people that you meet, this is what they've gone through. This is a broken world full of broken people. And there are people that will never walk through the doors of this church. Over 60% of our population in this nation is not going to come to church. They're done with it. I spent 15 minutes talking to somebody yesterday at a family reunion who told me he hasn't been in the church for 50 years. And he's exploring all kinds of different religions because he's fascinated by religion. And he had one experience in the church that he went to as a young person and he said, that changed me. And I, I didn't believe. And there's, and really by accounts, his, his life is a successful life. But it's not as successful as far as God is concerned. His life is a mess. Like many people that you're going to meet. And we have a message of life. And I think what Paul was trying to get over to his people is that we need to act like who God has made us to be, rather than acting like the people that do not believe that God can change us, that God can rearrange us, that God can transform us, that God can take our lives and the mess that our lives are and make it into something that is so beautiful, make it into something that is so precious, make it into something that is so life-giving that other people are attracted to the grace of God that's on the inside of us. So the challenge is, will we do that? Will we alter our diet enough, not just for us, not just so that the things around us change, we have a little bit more peace in our life, but so that the world around us changes, so that we have faith and strength and grace to be able to share our lives with other people in a way that is meaningful and precious. Would you bow your heads this morning with me? Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for the challenge. God, there's so many. 
Father, you love this world so much that you gave your son. Father, help us, me and this church, help us that we would be willing to give of ourselves so that we be transformed and be a transformative power around us. And Father, your grace is sufficient in every aspect of our lives. With your heads bowed, with your eyes closed, everyone, please just, just close your eyes for just a moment this morning. Believe the Spirit of God speaking. But if you're here today and you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, you've never accepted him as your Savior, maybe you've thought, I, I'm beyond that right now. I, I, I'm not good enough. I've got to change this. Or I've got to start doing that. Or I, I've been so inadequate. Uh, you're the person that Jesus came for. Jesus has already done the heavy lifting. He died on the cross and he shed precious blood and he rose again from the dead and he's now seated at the right hand of God. His grace has been made available and it just takes us acting in faith to believe that what he said is true. And so if you're here today and say, Pastor Brian, I have never made Jesus the Lord of my life, never been born again, but I'm ready to take that challenge. I'm ready to take that step or I know I need a savior. If that's you, would you just hold your hand up this morning? I want to pray with you. Just a very simple, quick prayer. Anyone just hold your hand up real high for just a moment. Anyone at all, anyone at all, anyone at all. All right, praise God. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you once again for this congregation of men and women. Thank you for the life that is in them. I thank you for this body of Christ that is assembled here today. And I pray, Father, that as we leave this place this morning, we allow you to change us. But, Father, help us to be that change, to be that life, to be that grace in the world that is around us. And, Father, help us to change our world in the name of Jesus. Amen.